This is a Federal News Network podcast. Elections in the United States are the responsibility of states, counties, cities, and towns. But the federal government has an increasing role on the security end of things, especially the cybersecurity. My next guest says the various federal agencies with the wherewithal to help non-federal entities protect elections need to better organize those efforts. Elaine Kamark is a senior fellow in governance studies at the Brookings Institution. You might remember her from her work in the National Performance Review during the Clinton administration. And she joins me now. Ms. Kamark, good to have you back. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. And it's good to know you're still involved in good government efforts after all these years. Tell us your thesis. You're comparing in some ways the 2016 election occurrence to what happened on 9-11. Well, that's right. I mean, you know, every time our uh, governmental system faces something new and unexpected, uh, there are obviously problems in responding to it. And so 9-11 was a big surprise and nothing like this had happened to us. So uh, the, what, what we discovered after 9-11 was that there were pieces of the 9-11 puzzle spread all over the federal government, but because the federal government is vast and doesn't always talk to each other for a variety of reasons, some of them quite legitimate, some just by virtue of tradition, uh, we, mi- we missed things that perhaps may have let us uh, get ahead of the curve when it came to those attacks. Well, the same thing happened 15 years later with the unexpected volume of Russian attacks on our presidential election. And again, the governmental response while there was suboptimal, in part because, I mean, it's not kind of nobody's fault in either instance, but we'd never seen this thing before. And so when you read the uh, first volume of the report of the a select committee on intelligence, um, what you see is something that's very reminiscent of the post 9-11 critique of the government. Um, the government need to, needed to talk to each other, and it needed to talk in this instance even more than in 9-11 with states and localities. And frankly, they just didn't do a very good job of that coordination. And when you look at election security, like the 9-11 issue, there are really many tentacles to it. You've got cybersecurity for those that have some kind of an online system. And then you've also got physical security of elections, such as when you know groups block polls and this kind of thing or mm-hmm. steal ballots. I mean, it happens. And then you've got this very subtle issue of interference through social media, which was barely in its infancy in 2001. That's a vector that's kind of hard to get at because it doesn't really affect the balloting process directly. Right, right. Well, and and I think let, let's separate those out, okay? So the traditional types of voter suppression, right, um, laws that make it difficult to vote, um, difficulty getting to polling places, et cetera, those are longstanding and well-known. And in fact, both Uh, both political parties lawyer up on Election Day to kind of protect themselves against that more traditional aspects of of voter um, suppression. What's new in 2016, what was new in 2016 are two different things. One is the possibility of actual cyber intrusions into 
the vote in one of two ways, either hacking into systems that are electronic in order to, say, erase every seventh Republican vote or every 20th Democratic vote or, or whatever. That's a possibility. Um, the other thing that we saw the Russians trying to do in 2016 is hack into voter registration systems so that people who thought they were registered to vote when they actually went to the polling place would not be able to vote. So we saw those two kinds of possibilities. Now, it doesn't look like any of those actually happened, but they were certainly attempted in 2016, as we now know. At the time, we thought it, would be only, it was only about 20 states. Now it's really more like all the states were victims of, uh, you know, uh, somebody, the, the analogy that I know one writer had is a burglar kind of casing your house for that open window or that cellar door or someplace that sure. they could get in for a burglary. And, and that was kind of what was going on in 2016. And it should give us all, um, you know, pause. We're speaking with Elaine Kamark, senior fellow at the Brookings Institution. And so, how should the federal government mobilize? What are the agencies you see mainly impinging on this? Because there are such a diversity of potential issues with elections. Well, I think the two leads are uh, DHS, Homeland Security, and FBI. Um, DHS was founded after 9-11, and, and a big piece of their mission is the coordination with the states. Because election administration is constitutionally a function of state government, um, there's even more interaction that has to go on between DHS and the states than there has been in the past. And one of the big problems there is simply getting state officials top secret or secret clearances. Because one of the things that the Senate committee found was that a lot of times the uh, DHS or the FBI would alert an election official to some interference. But because the election official didn't have the, uh, the proper clearance, um, the feds couldn't really read them, read in, as we say in the intelligence community, read in officials to the severity of the threat. So the, the two groups of officials, the election officials and the federal officials, we're kind of talking past each other with, you know, as you know, anybody who runs a, a, a big computer system, um, information system, knows that there's a lot of junk happening, a lot of attacks happening at it all the time. And the problem is trying to differentiate bet between the sort of random attacks that maybe some 16-year-old is pinging the system with and serious foreign attacks that are trying to get into the system and screw up the system. So, so the first and maybe most important relationship to get right next time around is the relationship between DHS, FBI, and state election officials. And, and I actually think there's some progress that's been made there. And it sounds like then that maybe the election system writ large should be considered much more seriously as one of the channels of critical infrastructure that DHS already has a whole apparatus for. Well, that's right. And and one of the, one of the things that appears to have happened in 2016 
is that while DHS had done a pretty good job of thinking about the protection of critical infrastructure when it comes to, say, um, the, 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 electric, the electric grid, right, or, or water or, um, you know, some other aspects of critical infrastructure, they hadn't really much of a good grasp on the election architecture of our country. And for good reason, most of that expertise and, and all of the administration is done at the state level. The feds have very little to do with election architecture. Um, after the 2000 um, debacle in Florida that ended up with um, Al Gore losing uh, Florida in the electoral co- and therefore losing the electoral college, um, there was an election commission set up. And the, one of the great ironies of our time is that, of course, that election system, being having experienced hanging chads and the difficulties of looking at paper ballots, went to, in some instances, direct elector, electronic voting. Well, guess what? <laughs> that is a very vulnerable system. And in fact, the states are now returning to having a verifiable paper ballot um, to so that you can do an audit or a recount of the vote. So we, we've come full circle. Um, we started out thinking that electronics were going to be the savior of our voting problems, we're now back to paper ballots. Sure. And that's the that's, you know, the kind of thing that happens when you're dealing with new and unexpected threats. And do you have any confidence that if Congress decides to address the issues that the federal government can legitimately do here, that they can do it in some sort of nonpartisan or bipartisan way? Well, that's a problem. I mean, there are a lot of good ideas in the Congress. There's several bills. Um, Senator Wyden of Oregon has been a leader in this area. Uh, Senator Warner of Virginia has been a leader in this area. Um, But Mitch McConnell, uh, the majority leader, has consistently blocked uh, any of these bills from coming to the floor. Uh, McConnell's argument is that this is a state issue, not a not a federal issue. And while he's right on that point, the bills would basically give a lot of assistance to the states to protect them, to help them protect themselves. Uh, there is a there's a six hundred million dollar appropriation uh, hanging somewhere between the House and the Senate that would go to the states for election security. And let's see if that is blocked as well. Elaine Kamark is Senior Fellow at the Brookings Institution. Thanks so much for joining me. Well, thank you for having me on. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand and on your device at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.